Good evening, and uh, welcome to our Wednesday night fellowship. As Kelsey said, uh, this is RUF, uh, and this is our Wednesday night fellowship. We really do want you to be able to connect with God uh, while you're in college, connect with others. Um, when we say connect the dots, sort of see how the difference that faith makes. How does your faith inform your studies, inform sort of your future work in the world? And toward that end, one of the places where we have sort of those connections is here uh, at Wednesday Night Fellowship. One of, um, well, what we're doing this semester is we are looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer together, kind of as a sermon series. When the disciples, those are Jesus' followers, they go up to him and they say, teach us to pray, sort of half asking, half telling him, you got to teach us to pray. What Jesus gives them and what he gives us is a pattern for prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. It's a pattern in three parts. We look up. And then we look out, and then we look in. The, uh, the prayer starts, uh, our Father in heaven. Uh, it starts with connection. Connection comes before content, uh, as Megan would tell you at the ropes course. Identity first. But that's not all. Uh, we don't just say our Father in heaven. We also say, still looking up, hallowed be uh, your name. But what does that mean? Hallowed be your name. And what does it mean to pray it? And how might God actually answer this prayer? Well, answering those questions really is the focus of uh, today's sermon. Uh, The word hallow means to make something holy, right? To set it apart as special. It's similar in meaning to the word glorify. In Hebrew, the word for glory is the same word for weight. Something glorious is heavy, it's weighty. It's significant. It's important. So as we kind of connect the dots, when we pray hallowed be your name or glorify your name, we're not just saying that God is awesome or glorious. We're asking God to show us just how awesome he really is. You could say that we're asking him to shine bright in our lives. When we follow Jesus' instructions and pattern for prayer, the very first thing that we find ourselves asking is, warm my cold heart, right? open my blind eyes, impress me, and impress upon me your goodness and your greatness and your love. And here's why. Seeing God for who he is will not leave us as we are. And when we see God for who he really is, it will not leave us as we are. A right vision of God will change us from the inside out. It will change the way we see him, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see the world around us. It will change the way we see our life and our life story. And it's going to change what we ask for and why. And this is why Jesus puts this petition right up front while we're still looking up before we pray out and in. Well, if this is what it means to pray this prayer... How does God go about answering it? If we're asking him to be great in our sight and for him to loom large in our life, how does he do that? Well, Psalm 65, the passage that we're going to look at tonight, is a great place to start. Okay, Psalm 65 is a prayer. It's a song that was written by David, and it begins, Praise is due to you, O God and Zion. Right? You're worthy of praise, and then it spells out why. So for people saying, hey, impress upon me your goodness, your greatness, and your love, Psalm 65, as I mentioned, it's a great place to start. You can find it in the Old Testament. 
You can find it on your seat. You can find it in those free Bibles uh, that is our gift to you. If you don't have one, please take one home with you. But I'm going to turn there now. And please follow along uh, if you would. Okay. Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God and Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father in heaven, um, thank you for bringing us together tonight to gather around pizza, but also around your word. Um, Lord, would you feed us? And not just with food, would you feed us with your word tonight? Uh, Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see your goodness and your glory. Uh, Impress upon us uh, the weight of of your glory. Uh, We pray these things uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. When we pray, hallowed be your name, as I said, we're asking God to impress upon us his goodness, his greatness, and his love. We're saying, help me to see you, to know you, and to praise you before I take another step forward in prayer. That's what we're asking for. And and Psalm 65 shows us how God might actually answer that prayer. God's name is hallowed. He's made awesome to us. When we look at him through his creation, it's point number one. Point number two, God's name is hallowed. He becomes awesome to us when we look at him through his provision. And thirdly, God's name is hallowed, and he becomes awesome to us when we look at him through his salvation. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at him through his creation, look at him through his provision, and then look at him through uh, his salvation. First, you want God to impress upon you his goodness, greatness, love? Look at him through his creation. Start in verse 6. In verse 6, David calls our attention to the mountains. He says, look. And it helps that we are surrounded by so many of them. Right? The greens behind us, the dacks in front of us. Or if you turn around, the greens in front of you, the dacks behind you. Or whatever. (laughs) You get the point. We're surrounded by them. When I ask you, uh, why did you go to UVM? Like, why have you come to school here? The answer that so many of you give, sort of lead with is, well, the mountains. Right? Haven't you seen them? You came here to get an education. 
Uh, you came here to get a college degree. But let's be honest, right? You can do that just about any place. The reason why you're getting an education here at the University of Vermont, the reason why you are, some of you, paying top dollar right, to be here, is because you don't just want to get an education. You want to get an education in this particularly beautiful place. Right? You want to be able to see the mountains, to ski the mountains, to be on and near the mountains. And trust me, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's the reason why we're happy and delighted to, to live here, my wife and, and daughter and I. It's the reason why I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Right? I get it. I'm with you. I love being near the mountains. Um, they're beautiful. Right? They're majestic. They're mysterious. Right? Mountains have this strange, almost paradoxical power to both lift us up and humble us at the same time. For starters, mountains are much, much bigger than you. And they're much, much older than you are as well. They were there before you showed up, and they're going to be there long after. And coming into contact with something that is grander than you and older than you is very helpful. It helps you to see your life in some new perspective. On or near mountains, right? On or near something bigger and older than you helps you to see your own life as short and fragile and delicate, right? Not unlike a wildflower sort of popping up near Mount Rainier. Not unlike that. Mountains can alter our perspective in other ways as well. Right? When you summit a mountain, the first thought may be, I'm on top of the world! But as you look around, you realize, no, I'm not. Right? I'm just a dot on a much greater landscape. And that's okay. See, life works better when we see ourselves rightly. It works better when we see God rightly, too. As G.K. Chesterton once said, how much larger your life would be if you could become smaller in it? How much greater your life would be if you could just become a little bit smaller in it? It's wise. It's true. Mountains help us with that. So do hurricanes. So do sunrises over the greens and sunsets behind the dacks. David says, look at them. Pay attention to them. But don't just look at them. Right? Look through them. Look through them and see the one who fashioned them. If the mountains are majestic, how much more is the one who established them being girded with might? If hurricanes are powerful, roaring wind and waves, if hurricanes are powerful, how much more is the one who can silence them with the word of his power? Peace, be still. If the going out of the morning and the going out of the evening are raucous in color and shouting for joy, how much more is the one who set them into motion and holds the paintbrush in his hand? 
See, all of creation tells a story. All of creation sings a song of who God is and what he is like. And what this means is that if you want to get in tune, if you want to get in sync, if you want to get in step, step outside. Open your eyes. Open your ears. Take a walk in the woods. Watch a sunset over Lake Champlain. Alternatively, stay inside and watch the Planet Earth series made by the BBC. It's incredible. Right? It will lead you into worship. But don't just look at these things, okay? Look through them. Look through them. Because who and what you will see is a God of power and beauty and might. When we don't simply look at God's creation, but we look through it, God is capable of impressing upon us His goodness, His greatness, His love. This is not the only way that God could answer this prayer. Lord, hallowed be your name, right? The second way that God can do that, that He can become awesome in our sight, is when we look at Him through His creation, sure, but also, secondly, when we look at Him through His provision, Look at verses 9 to 11 with me. It says there, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Just as an aside, what David's saying is, God is intentional. He's intentional in his provision. He has prepared food and drink for us, and he has provided food and drink. He goes on, verse 10, you water, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening its showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. And then this song sort of reaches its crescendo in verses 12 and 13. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout. They sing together, right, for joy. The picture here that David in some ways paints for us is a picture of a lush mountain valley. Livestock dots the landscape. Flowers cover the valley floor. Apple trees are laden with fruit. Fields are full of grain. Water rolls through the rivers and irrigates the earth. Wagon carts are dripping fat, uh, are dripping with the fat of the land. They can hardly contain uh, the abundance. Honestly, the picture that David paints for us, it looks a whole lot like Vermont does at harvest time. Strange how he could see from Israel what, what, what Vermont looks like, right? At harvest time, but he does. Nature is wearing its finest clothes as if a garment. You come to the fall retreat, you'll see what we mean. It's beautiful, right? The reds, the oranges, the yellows, it's incredible. They're wearing its finest clothes as if going to a feast. You could say a Thanksgiving feast. It's a total picture of beauty and of God's abundant and supernatural care of life on planet Earth and his care for us. God is good, and he's caring. And he's not just the awesome artist who painted this impressive panorama. Every detail 
in this scene speaks to God's thoughtfulness and care. Every detail. He provided, and he's prepared it that way. You all want to know, you want God to impress upon you his goodness, his greatness, and his love. I want you to look at the ways that he has provided for you today. I want you to feel the clothes on your back. I want you to pay attention to the food that's on your 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 plate. If you're going to go for a walk outside, walk to the Intervale Community Farm. Or if you're not a great outdoorsman, but a great indoorsman, go to the local supermarket. Walk the supermarket aisles. Pay attention to the food there. Pay attention to all the farmers and the laborers who bring food from the fields to your breakfast, lunch, and dinner plate. See it. Look at it. But don't just look at it, right? Look through them. See them and then see through them. See how God is at work in and amongst these details, providing for you, taking care of you, loving you in and through all of these. Right? Let that sink in and settle into your heart before you take another step forward in prayer. God's awesome. And he's providing for me. Let that sink in. The third, and perhaps the final way that God hallows his name, becomes awesome to us, is when we look at him through his salvation. When we look at him through his salvation. Let's look again at how this psalm begins. Verses 1 to 5. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. You want to know, you want God to impress upon you his goodness, greatness, and love. He does it through his creation. He does it through his provision. He does it through the salvation he has won for us in Jesus Christ. Verse 3 reads, When iniquities or sins prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. It's not a word we use a whole lot, atone. But this word atone in Hebrew, is the word to smear. Okay. On the cross, God shed, sacrificed, smeared his blood to wash away our sins. On the cross, God took the punishment that our sins deserve, and he did that in our place. On the cross... God atoned for our transgressions. On the cross, God cried, it's finished. It's done. Mission accomplished. Right? Because God did this for us, there's no more condemnation. There's no more wrath right? for all of you who, 
who put your faith and trust in Christ. His salvation is total and it is complete. Right? It is finished. As we read um, in Bible study this week, we're looking at Psalm 103 in Bible study, but as we read there, it says in 103 verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God loves you. He loves you all. He loves you like a father. He moves towards you with compassion and does so to save you. God did not save you so that you would live outside of his house like a stranger. God saved you so that you could live inside of his house with him, not as an orphan, not as an alien, not as a guest, but as a family member, and indeed as a beloved child of God. Verse 4 in the passage we're looking at tonight, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house at the holiness of your temple. It goes on in verse 5. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness. You know, when David was praying that prayer, when he first penned those words, odds are he was thinking back in time, a time when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. He's recounting and he's remembering when God did one awesome deed after another so that Pharaoh, right, would let God's people go. But plague after plague after plague after plague, Israel's captor and tormentor, Pharaoh, refuses to let God's people go. So what does God do? Well, he answers them with another awesome deed. This one a sacrifice. He gives his people a sacrifice, a substitute, a Passover lamb. You see, if the people took a lamb that was without stain or blemish, God said, you can kill it, and you can put its blood on the doorpost, and then you can spend the night sort of taking refuge in the blood of the lamb. And later that night, when God shows up in judgment, what he does is he passes over everyone who sought refuge in the blood of an innocent one. See, because an innocent one had died for them, they could all walk away freed men and women. Well, thousands of years later, a man named Jesus walks the earth. And when people see him, they say, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just like the Passover lambs of old, the Passover lambs that came before him, Jesus himself was a firstborn, without stain or blemish. He lived a perfect, sinless life. But one day, at the culmination of his mission here on earth, he did what no one else has ever done and no one else will ever do. He gave his life up so that a bunch of people could go free. 
Jesus went to the cross. His blood got smeared. Not to save a small group of people, but to save all sorts of people all around the globe. To liberate them and to liberate us from humanity's ultimate captors and tormentors. Sin, death, and the devil himself. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. See, as our passage tonight and many others point out, he's the hope of all the earth. He's the hope of the farthest sea. He's both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. He's not a small God, and his salvation is not a small salvation. He's a big God. He's got a big salvation. And it's big enough for the entire world. It's just to say it's big enough for you and me too. We can't help. We cannot help but praise the things that we love and are excited about. We do it all the time. It comes easy and naturally to us. I love talking about fly fishing because I love fly fishing. When you read a great book or you see a a great new TV show or movie or you hear a great new song, what do you do? You go to your friends and you're like, you've got to read this. You've got to see this. You've got to hear this. We can't help but praise it. We can't help but celebrate it. My daughter, Willa, is the best at this. Willa loves Rally Cat. She loves Rally Cat. Whenever she sees Rally, whether it's at a basketball game or a pep rally or on one of your t-shirts or baseball caps, she will literally shout at the top of her lungs, Rally! (laughs) And if and when he's actually physically present, she will run to him and she will give him a giant hug. And then she will proceed to tell him all the other things that she's excited about. I got new shoes. I really love Paw Patrol. Or lately, we went camping. Right? Willa, has, Willa has no problem celebrating what she loves the most. We want a similar experience. We want a similar experience. Not with Rally Cat, but with God our Father. We want, a, we want a similar experience with God our Father. We don't have the benefit of physically running to him, sitting in his lap, seeing his smiling face, knowing the warmth of his grace. Not yet, at least. But spiritually, that's kind of what we are after when we pray this petition. That's what we're going for. We want God to not just be great. We want him to be great in our sight. To be great in our lives. To see and to appreciate him for the good and loving father that he truly is. And not just up here in our minds. We want to know that in here, right, in our hearts as well. In this pattern for prayer that Jesus gives us, there's going to be opportunity for us to pray for the needs of the world as well as our own. But before we do any of that, it's good to just sit and be with our dad. 
to be reminded that he loves us and to celebrate him and to give him thanks. It's good to do just that. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to come now, and I want to give you just an opportunity uh, to pray, to pray to him and to ask him, right, hallowed be your name.